Hi everyone, welcome back for another podcast, another episode of EGEOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan and I have a very special guest here today. His name is Nick Legrelier. He is an EPC project manager. Hi Nick, how are you doing today? Hi Rochelle, I'm great, thank you, and thanks for having me. Great, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and I see a lot of your posts on LinkedIn and I always um, very... Uh, what you post resonates with me a lot, and thank you for everything that you do to bring awareness to our our community. Thank you. That's uh, that's yeah. It's it's always interesting to see uh, who you reach uh, with with putting content out there. So that's that's nice feedback. Awesome. So to get started today, I would like to ask you uh, a couple questions. Before we get into the nitty and gritty of what you're doing in the energy sector, could you please tell our audience? A little bit about yourself so perhaps something about where you're from where you grew up and maybe something that influenced you while you were growing up. yeah sure um, so originally I'm from Antwerp in Belgium uh, I also did my undergraduate there uh, in geology although I didn't exactly land in that straight away so maybe that's a topic to uh, to deepen uh, later on uh, <laughs> then uh, I moved to Scotland to University of Aberdeen uh, where I finished my master's in petroleum geoscience Ended up working for Merce, which is a Danish company. Uh, ended up moving to Copenhagen, originally eight months. And uh, now, although I was in the US for a couple of years in between, it's been a total of 10. So uh, it's been a bit of a roundabout uh, itinerary, I guess. In terms of uh, influences, I think it's always interesting when you think about how you end up in a particular field, right? Um, so I started out studying bioengineering and then uh, it's actually the first time I came into contact with geoscience, in the sense, not in geography and physical geography, but geology and geophysics. And it was actually a professor of mine there who really got me, let's say, inspired in the topic and then ended up changing my major to, uh, to geology in the end. So that's probably what set me off on the current trajectory somehow. Yeah, that's awesome. I Same for me. I had one inspiring professor and then... Yeah, then I decided to be a geo major and then <laughs> same same sort of pathway. I think it's something you hear a lot from uh, people who end up in, in the field of geology because it's something that's a bit unrepresented, I think, at, at sort of high school level that we have an encounter along the way and as a, as a result of that end up uh, in that field. Sure, absolutely. So you told us a bit about uh, where you went to school and your degrees. Could you maybe tell us a story about your career path? And this can be sort of anything. It can be how you ended up where you are today, or maybe just something that uh, really inspired you or something that you loved while you were working on your degrees or early in your career. Yeah, I think early career influence is certainly something that I that I reflect on in, in my current role as well, because... I joined the Maersk graduate program, which was for technical people coming straight out of university. And I think what they really tried to do was give us a bit more of a, of a business sense as well, which I think, you know, for most, it, it was targeted at engineers and scientists um, and essentially tried to develop, you know, leadership skills, but also uh, business planning, uh, finance, and uh, those more rounding skills, if you like, uh, which to this day, I think was a very valuable experience to have early on. And also, at least from the perspective of the oil and gas industry at the time, we had three different positions in the course of two years, looking at different parts of the value chain. So again, going very broad early on, I think was a very good foundation to build on 
for, for my career to date, actually. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about um, a lot of graduate programs. I know, like, Shell has or had a graduate program. I think they still do, and um, Exxon. Is that generally then? Was that sort of an industry standard for the super majors? I'm not sure it was a, an industry standard because I certainly had the impression that when I was considering, you know, which company to join at the time, that it was a fair bit of difference, both in terms of the the duration of these graduates' programs and the exact content of them. Um, so I think what appealed for me was that it was international. Mm-hmm. It was two years, so it wasn't, it wasn't too short, um, and had a bunch of non-technical content as well, uh, which coming out of you know a master's degree sounded like something that would uh, be an interesting complement to what I'd just been doing for the past, uh, past five years. Yeah. Oh, that's so great to hear. So could you tell us a little bit more about where in the energy sector you're currently located? And um, within that sector, what do you really enjoy or something you really like about being there? Yeah, so actually only as of uh, early this year, I joined a renewables developer called Gringo Energy uh, here in Denmark. Mm -hmm. So I've gone from a career of about 13 years in, uh, in oil and gas to uh, to the solar industry, which was certainly an unexpected turn for me as well, uh, especially in Scandinavia. If you think about the you know the average amount of sunshine, especially in winter, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's been an interesting it's been an interesting development. I guess it was driven by a combination of uh, factors, but uh, on the one hand, there's always you know personal perspective on the energy transition, and you mentioned my LinkedIn posts uh, there, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, job opportunity and and a good time in your career uh, to to make a change. And so I think that all sort of uh, came together um, around the turn of uh, end of the middle of last year, uh, and then early uh, early this year when I when I got this job mm-hmm. um, as a developer, um, we essentially originate uh, sites for solar parks in uh, Denmark. We also have international uh, outlook and offices, um, and then our team in uh, EPC, which stands for Engineering Procurement and Construction essentially does exactly that. We uh, draw the engineering designs, handle the procurement and supply chain, and then eventually the construction, then we hand it over to the investor or the asset owner. So that's the broader view of what the team does. Uh, My current role uh, is essentially coordinating uh, those activities in our team uh, and the company, and especially for for the Danish portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, a bit of a change from oil and gas, but uh, it's it's been interesting. Yeah, could you tell us more about uh, the transfer of skill set? I know this is something that I think a lot of petroleum geoscientists who um, maybe want to go into more green energy or even the renewables, but maybe they're a little bit scared or just don't know if they're prepared to make that transition. Could you speak to maybe what skills that you had before getting into renewables that um, have transferred over? and that you're using today? Yeah, I think for me specifically, but I think there's a broader point to make as well. Um, for me specifically, I knew I enjoyed project management, specifically mm-hmm. technical project management, um, for six or seven years now. And I've also had the opportunity to have several stints doing that in, in my previous uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. So it was especially the uh, you know technical project management skills that enabled me to, to move into my current role which I would say a little bit specific to this particular case. I think whenever someone is considering where to move uh, professionally, and whether it's from oil and gas to renewables or any other career transition, is really to start with what your passion is and what you enjoy doing, right? Some people love the 
the technical depth of geology or geophysics, uh, whether it's, you know, sedimentology or quantitative seismic analysis or whatever it may be. And then, of course, you know, that, that's a very specific skill set. And then it would probably be more relevant to pursue other career choices in related industries where that is still relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you are willing to look broader, um, and again, I don't think I'm stating anything uh, out of the obvious here, but a lot of people move into data science, mm-hmm. uh, project management, data analytics, geophysics in other fields, geology in other fields. So I think there's there's a realm of things out there that people can transfer into based on both the experience that you have and the, uh, the preferences that you have, actually. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, that's really great. Did you have to take any more uh, schooling or do any certifications before you started working in the renewable sector? So on the project management side, at least, and this has actually been on my to-do list uh, for a while, and uh, I guess my garden leave was a good time to do it, mm-hmm. was to get the PMP certificate, the project management professional. Yep. I did take a bit of a refresher course in preparation for the exam just to go through all the theoretical material again, because yep. it's been a while. Um, so it wasn't so much, so much a matter of additional training for that. However, I did also explore whether perhaps data science was something that could be of interest to me. And I did work my, myself through the entire uh, data science uh, and data analyst certification uh, from IBM. So this is, you know, okay. Python coding and data analytics and all that. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, not something that I realized for myself was something that I wanted to pursue as a career. Yep. Um, but I think it's good to explore different avenues and see again whether that is something that fits you uh, as a person in your, your profile or not. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you foresee any new trends or development uh, within the solar field, perhaps in the next year coming out of COVID, or even as we go through the energy transition, let's say in the next five to 10 years and even beyond that? Yeah, I think the number of the trends in solar, and I think the same applies to uh, to onshore and offshore wind actually has been the enormous reduction in cost. I mean, I think we shaved off about 80 or 90% uh, of LCOE in the course of a decade. So that's that's a huge trend. Mm-hmm. I think right now what you're seeing with the supply chain disruptions in China uh, due to, ironically, almost uh, shutting down of uh, power plant capacity there for a variety of reasons is, of course, that you know there's a lot of turbulence in the, in the supply chain in terms of prices, delivery times, uh, manufacturing capacity, etc. So right now, I think it's a little bit difficult to forecast what the next year is going to look like in, in that regard. Yeah. There is, of course, a continuing trend, and again, this is in solar with regard to increasing, ever-increasing capacity for, you know, for the modules. When you look at wind turbines, they're getting continuously larger and, and higher capacity. So generally, you just see, you know, economies of scale developing and at the same time, cost reduction. Yeah, I know one thing, um, I get a little disheartened when um, I see presentations or talks and people say things like, oh, and this is just with regard to like hydrogen fuel, for example, and their main reason for maybe not going forward with green hydrogen, which is the electrolysis would be produced by uh, renewables, is the cost. And that's always like the big thing like, oh, well, we just can't afford that or that's not even practical. Do you agree with that? Or do you feel like we're getting closer and closer to someday that green hydrogen will be something that isn't um, super expensive and somewhat in uh, like a fantasy, I guess. Yeah, I think this is again in the realm of uh, efficiency gains in the electrolysis process and economy of scale, which brings the costs of electrolyzers and all the other required uh, equipment down. Mm -hmm. 
I think you're seeing a huge influx of investment into green hydrogen. And so I personally don't have much of a doubt that you will see the same effect as you see with any other technology that includes the internal combustion engine, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It gets more efficient and it gets cheaper. And as a result, it gets deployed more widely. So I think there's a bit of uh, naysaying about that. But I think the trend is obvious that green hydrogen is going to be a big part of the energy transition. Yeah. And uh, the development is, is ongoing. But yeah. Uh, of course, right now, yes, I agree. It's small scale and it's expensive, but mm -hmm. that's how every technology has started. So I don't think that's necessarily a reason for for pessimism. Yeah, like. yeah. No, I'm I'm really glad to hear you say that because I I feel the same way. I mean, it can be literally anything when it's brand new and maybe in like the beta testing or whatever. It's like can be very expensive. I mean, little gadgets, anything. So, yeah. No, that's really good and very inspirational. Could you speak more to uh, the energy transition itself? Do you foresee this as something that um, is cyclic, like along with the economy and the stock market, where you have periods where, let's say we jump ahead and all of a sudden we're producing a lot more renewable energy and then it might take a few step back? Um, or do you see this as something slow and ongoing, like for the next 50 years? I would say it's probably a mix of both, right? A lot of people were talking about building back better and building back greener and using the, the crisis that was uh, COVID um, to do that, unfortunately. And I think there's interesting material out there in terms of studies and publications. If you look at the amount of stimulus that has been money that has been pumped into the economy by governments and what percentage of that has ended up in a green transition, that is very country specific and Generally speaking, I would say rather disappointing. I think, you know, living in Denmark, it's one of the exceptions where it's almost, you know, exclusively gone towards the energy transition mm -hmm. um, and, and a green recovery. So that's great, but that's definitely not the picture you see everywhere. Yeah. So I think in the short term, it's definitely not linear, but then again, nothing has, right? Mm -hmm. With COVID, it was a big disruptive event, and you see that across uh, energy transition, the economy, and, and the financial system. So that's, that's the short term disruption. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens at COP26 uh, later in the year. I think it's in November, right, coming up, mm -hmm. in terms of the things and the pledges that will be put forward by governments there. I mean, of course, up till this point, has been very gradual. I think what's also very interesting is if you look at International Energy Agency's uh, latest uh, report, uh, the World Energy Outlook, in terms of what needs to happen and what is being forecast, there's a huge gap. So I think, you know, more of the same and continuing along the same trend, it's very clear we won't meet the targets of the Paris Agreement. So something more transformational has to happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the, that's the high level degree there. Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. Really. Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that. I really appreciate that. Um, if someone, let's say a, a fresh graduate or um, one thing I also notice is a lot of students um, that maybe were in graduate school during the pandemic and had to like sort of pivot their degree halfway because of everything that has happened. Do you have any advice for those students or people who are early in their career if they want to work in solar energy? Perhaps not uh, for solar energy in particular, um, but of course this is something again, you know, now people are experiencing it because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, 2008 people were experiencing it because of the financial crisis so i think it's always you know it's a matter of luck almost when you know we're in the economic cycle that you end up graduating yeah uh, and then what that means yep i think people who are coming out of university now and perhaps struggling 
to find a job. I think, you know, continuing into research is something that is very often used as almost the mitigation there, mm -hmm. uh, if that's something you're passionate about. And uh, I'd, I'd also say people have to try and keep an open mind because what you've actually studied at university is a very limited set of what you will be using in your professional career. And it's something that you build on. I think very often it's also a matter of um, a way of thinking that you learn, right? The scientific method, engineering thinking, mm -hmm. et cetera. And what field you choose that apply, to apply that to is actually relatively open. So I'd say don't, don't let yourself be too constrained by the, the title of the degree that you have, but think more about where you can apply it. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you know, uh, uh, solar is driven a lot by electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. um, so that might be a little we're a petroleum engineer, but don't underestimate the ability of, uh, you know, transferable skills or, and this is something that I personally experienced under the, uh, the Corona pandemic, the educational resources that are available online. And I mean, very high quality, like, like edX or on Coursera are huge. Mm -hmm. And I think if you show a willingness to learn and uh, go through one of these uh, certifications or courses and have that on your CV, it will make a very different impression on an employer. Right. So I think that's, that's also another avenue you consider additional, additional training, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Those were amazing answers. I really hope that um, this podcast reaches to some people who maybe have some of those questions. So thank you very much for your expertise and your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Rochelle. Always a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.